Pastor Trent Griffiths says that in the Bible, waiting is more than simply exercising patience. When he says, wait for the Lord, what he's saying is engage and do what you know to be doing from the start. Don't stop obeying. Don't say, I've been doing this so long, God still hasn't changed my situation. I'm leaving, I'm getting out of here, I'm trying a new plan, I'm giving up on this God, I'm gonna go find another God, I'm gonna create a different God so I can go do what I wanna do. No, wait means keep obeying. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. When disaster strikes, That's the title of the message that Trent gave last fall. We're going to hear the conclusion of that message today on Resonate. It's a quick overview of Isaiah chapter 40, but what's your disaster? Last fall, there were hurricanes bearing down on Texas and Florida and the Caribbean. And a few weeks ago, right here in Michiana, the St. Joseph River overflowed its banks and caused a fair amount of disaster. So what about you? Whether it's a divorce or an addiction, maybe it's a financial difficulty or a bad report from the doctor, we're all affected at some point with disaster. The solution, according to God's Word, is found in the title of this series, Lift Up Your Eyes. We'll briefly recap what we heard last week and then continue with the rest of the message. Here's Pastor Trent. With all the news headlines about Harvey and Irma, what got lost in all of that is what was happening on the other side of the world. In Nepal, Bangladesh, and India, massive flooding there. Thousands of people lost their lives. And while all that's happening, the biggest earthquake to hit Mexico in a century took place. Natural disasters have a way of waking us up to our mortality. Everybody here is going to stand before God and only two types of people will be there. Those that will experience the final and full disastrous judgment of God or those that have believed that God's disastrous judgment was poured out on Jesus He experienced the hurricane of God's wrath on sin so that I wouldn't have to. And only those that are trusting Jesus are those that have that hurricane diverted to Jesus. Jesus survived it. You're not going to. And so do you understand your frailty as a human being? If you don't, you've got to understand what God says in the rest of this passage. Understand... I am my own disaster. I create my own calamity. I am my worst problem. And the only way to get out of this alive is to bow to God's sovereignty. Here's the fourth thing you have to see. You have to have a proper view of God's sufficiency. The rest of this chapter unfolds as a test. It's kind of like God plays 20 questions with his people. He just asks them a series of questions. Oh, you think you're going to get out alive, do you? You you think you know better than God, do you? You really think you want to accuse me of not knowing what I'm doing? You don't think I'm good? You don't think I'm in control? Well, let let me just ask you a few questions before you ask your why questions. Look down at verse 12. God asks his first question. 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Do you know what the hollow of your hand is? Everybody make a hollow in your hand. You ever been thirsty? You've been by a stream or something? You, you bend down and you, 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 you lift it up like you're trying to make it a cup? It, first of all, have you ever noticed your hand leaks? You can never keep the water in there. It's like, you would think more would stay in there, but it just doesn't. You know what God says? He says, I have measured the water in the hollow of my hand. And somehow he keeps it all in there. I don't know what you were doing this week. I was preparing for this message and I wanted to know how much water is in the world. Now, back in the day, you'd have to do some serious research on that. Now you just, hey Siri, how much water is there in the world? (laughs) And she would tell you, there is exactly 340 quintillion gallons of water in the world. If the world was perfectly flat, no hills and valleys, that's enough water to cover the entire world two miles deep everywhere. God says, I got it all. Not losing any of it. I measure the water in the hollow of my hand. Oh, God, I didn't know you were that big. Yeah, not only that, he says, who marked off the heavens with a span? Do you see it there in verse 12? Who marked off the heavens in a span? What's a span? Everybody take your right hand and hold it up like that. Spread it as far as it can go, as far as your thumb to your, your pinky, as far as it can go. That is a span, okay? God says, I measure the universe in a span. How big is the universe? God says that big. <laughs> right there. I mean, it's just right there. And while all that stuff's going on over there, I'm like, that's not a thing. I got other stuff going on you don't even know about. He measures the heavens in a span. So how big is that? God measures in a span. The the closest thing that scientists have come up to measure the universe with is a light year. You know what a light year is? It's the distance that light travels in a year. Now think about this. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. On the count of three, I want everybody to snap your fingers. One, two, three. Light travels so fast from the time that sound started to the time that it ended. Light traveled around the world eight times. That's pretty fast. Now, the sun is 93 million miles away from where we are right now. If you were to travel to the sun, it would take you, if you traveled at the speed of light, Eight and a half minutes to get to the sun. You know what that means? The sun could have blown up eight minutes ago. We wouldn't even know it yet. (laughs) Because it would take eight minutes for that light to appear. If you were to start traveling from here at the speed of light, go past the sun, you would get to the end of our solar system in less than a day. You would get to the next closest star in 40 years. You would get to the end of the Milky Way in 100 million years. You're not going to make it. 
you would get to the end of the known universe in 100 billion years if you were traveling at the speed of light. How big is the universe? It's about that big. So before you come and like file your complaint with God, I don't know what's going on in your universe. It's pretty small to God, okay? You, to think about the speck of dust that you are in the middle of all that might put some pause on your questioning of God. So he says, um, yeah, I measure the heavens in a span. Then he tells us he's not only the God of the macro, he's God of the micro. The next thing he says is, who enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. Dust. Now, dust would have been like the smallest particle they could think of back in those days to describe something small. There's a dust molecule because we have microscopes now. We know what dust looks like under a microscope. Then, about 150 years ago, somebody discovered the atom. The atom. It's like, well, surely that's the smallest particle. An atom is what everything else is made up of. And then they split the atom. And they realized, oh, now we have protons, electrons, and neutrons. Those are the smallest things. But then in just the last couple of years, they, they realized, no, there's, there's three quarks that make up a proton. So you are the sum total. The universe is the sum total of quarks, which explains a lot of your quarky um, <laughs> personality, doesn't it? Quarks, and then they found these things. I mean, they, they, they found all kinds of, they found these things called leptons. It's, God put it all together. He holds it all together. The only thing it would take for things to start disintegrating and falling apart is just for God to stop holding it all together. The end of the verse says, who weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So how much does the world weigh? I asked Siri, she said, 5.972 sectillion metric tons, and it's actually gaining weight. Probably because of all of us who are gaining weight. It's growing. Look at verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? So scientists have, have tried to measure the universe and the speed of light and, and the small things, but here's one thing you, you will never be able to measure, the spirit of the Lord. Who's measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? God never shows up for counseling from you, okay? In verse 14, whom did he consult? He never needed a consultant. Who made him understand, who taught him the paths of judges? God's never had a teacher. And showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Imagine a bucket filled with water. Stick your hand in there this afternoon. Pull it out. Look in the bucket. The hole that's left are the significance of the nation of America. God's got it under control. God is sufficient. God needs no one's counsel. God needs the power of no other nation. So no matter what's happening in your world, get your eyes off of it. Lift up your eyes to see the sufficiency of God. Look down here to verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Isn't it cool that God gives us his perspective on earth? 
And then he told us in a book that's 3,000 years old that the earth is a globe, it's not flat. We didn't figure that out until Christopher Columbus didn't fall off the edge, right? (laughs) All we had to do was read our Bibles. The Bible's not a science book, but where it speaks to science, it's accurate. He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You said, I thought we were grass. Or a grasshopper. Either way, it is not a compliment, okay? You're a small part of what God is doing in the world. And so it says he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Verse 24, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. What's another word for tempest? Storm, hurricane, whirlwind. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see. Open your eyes to the Creator who created these. He who brings out their host by number. Now he's speaking of the stars, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his power, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Years ago, a scientist published a very scholarly paper that he had discovered the exact number of stars in the sky. He counted 595. His paper was refuted by someone later that counted 598. A couple of years later, somebody found a thousand. Then somebody invented a telescope. And they discovered that what they thought they were looking at was not stars, but galaxies with a hundred billion stars. And then they discovered There's a hundred billion galaxies with their own hundred billion stars. And God says, I've named everyone. You ever hear around Christmas those ads come on for like a creative Christmas gift? The global star registry or something? And you can like name a star after your girlfriend or something? Listen, at best that would be a nickname. God's already named them all, okay? And he's not going to change it because you like registered with the global star registry, okay? God has it all under control. Lift up your eyes. One of the best spiritual things you could do is go home tonight at midnight, take your family out in the driveway and just look up and try to count the stars and to understand who created all of them. A proper view of God's sovereignty, a proper view of God's sufficiency will help you survive the disaster. And then finally... When disaster strikes, you have to have a proper view of my opportunity. How do you respond to all this? Verse 27, God asked a question. God asked the question, why? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? You know what they were accusing God of? That God had forgotten them. That God was ignoring them. God, don't you see what I'm going through down here? 
God says, I, I see it all. Your way is not hidden from me. He goes on and says, and my right is discarded by God. Rights? You think you have rights? You don't have rights. You have responsibility to the creator. He created you to serve him. He does not exist to serve you. You don't have any rights. Why are you saying that? Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? You see, for some people, it is a knowledge problem. They just haven't known these things. They haven't learned them yet. But now that you've read Psalm or uh, Isaiah 40, now you know. He is the creator. The problem is not that you don't know. The problem for some of you is that you aren't listening. You haven't heard what God has said in his word is true of your frailty and his sufficiency. So he asked the question, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He never had a start date. He'll never have an end date. He has always been. He will always be. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exhausted. It's amazing. It's hard for 20-year-olds to believe what we're saying right now. The whole thing about grass and withering and stuff, it's not until like 30 that you kind of crest that hill of good looking and it all goes down the hill from there. And so it may be hard, but even the young men will fall exhausted. And then verse 31, but they who wait, underline that word, wait, wait, wait for it, wait for it. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Do you see the word renew there? It's not the idea that somehow you're going to get back strength you once had. It's going to be that you get strength you've never had, but you were designed to have from the beginning without sin. You're going to get a strength that is unmarred by sin. A strength to do things, to worship God, to obey God in a way that you've never known. But it is only for those who wait. I'm looking around the room right now. I'm not seeing a whole lot of people that got like A pluses on the wait test in school? How many of you are awesome at waiting? Just wake up in the morning. It's like, I'm just looking forward to waiting in lines. I'm just looking forward to waiting on my, my homework assignment. Just, I'm just looking forward. Andrew and I went to Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago. I told you about this. And uh, we were on the highway. They actually have highways in Oklahoma. And we were driving down the highway. But they, what they haven't yet discovered is the, the wonder of the easy pass on the toll roads, Right? where you can just zoom through, you never have to slow down, and it just kind of zaps your debit card or whatever you go through, so you don't have to pay, stop and pay the toll. And some of you still haven't discovered this either. You should go online and figure it out. It's a wonderful time saver in your day. But in Oklahoma, they didn't even give you the option. So we're on this highway, and we look off in the distance like, is that a toll booth? Really? Oh, come on. We're going to have to wait. I have to slow down, and sure enough, there's like four cars in front of us. And in Oklahoma, they haven't even figured out, they, they still think we carry coins in our pockets. 
to like throw in the toll booth. And so, you know, Andrea starts frantically searching around in her purse. You know, fortunately, she had a few coins in her purse. And she's like looking. It's 65 cents. Not 50 cents so you could throw two quarters in. Not 75 cents so you could throw three quarters in. But you got to find like two quarters, a nickel, and a dime. And of course, the four cars in front of us can't find it either. And they're like stopping traffic. We're there for like 20 minutes at the toll booth. And so Andrea, she can't find the nickels, but she does find five pennies. So she puts it in my hand. I throw it in there. Oklahoma doesn't take pennies. So now it's like she finds another quarter. I'm like, why didn't you just give me three quarters at the beginning? I am not paying them a tip for this. This is ridiculous. I'm like, I hate waiting for anything. And you don't like waiting either. We're awful at waiting. But understand this, the wait is not passive. When he says, wait for the Lord, what he's saying is, engage and do what you know to be doing from the start. Don't stop obeying. Don't say, I've been doing this so long. God still hasn't changed my situation. I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I'm trying a new plan. I'm giving up on this God. I'm going to go find another God. I'm going to create a different God so I can go do what I want to do. No. Wait means keep obeying. And wait means also to relax. God is still good. God is still in control. He's not lost an ounce of his power. Just relax. Trust. The disaster has been averted. Jesus has taken the wrath of God's judgment. Just relax. It's going to be okay. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And wait means expect. That's why the chapter starts at the beginning and says, prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus came initially to begin the process of lifting those valleys, straightening those highways, and bringing down the mountains, the obstacles between us and God so that we have access to God. Now we're waiting with expectation that he's going to finally make it right. He's going to renew our strength to make it the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. That's what we're waiting for. If you lift up your eyes and to have a proper perspective on disaster. He ends this chapter with some of the most powerful metaphors in the Bible. Look at the end of verse 31. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you see it? Soar, run, walk. All three of these are impossible unless you lift up your eyes. All three of these, spiritually, you're never going to soar. You're never going to walk. You're not even going to be able to take your first step without the strength of the Lord. You admitting, I am frail. I don't have what it takes to walk through a disaster, run through a disaster, or fly over one. God, you're going to have to do it all. It is physically impossible. Now, it's a metaphor, okay? You can wait the rest of your life. You're never going to sprout wings and fly. Okay, But what he's saying in a spiritual sense is this. You're going to have eagle eyes to be able to see over the disaster that's going on below you. The the unfolding disaster that is this world, God wants you to rise above it. In Bible times, they couldn't have even imagined 
what an eagle could have seen. Until somebody said, hey, let's strap a GoPro camera to an eagle and find out what it looks like. Do you understand what you're seeing? This is the kind of life spiritually that you can live if you will wait for the Lord to renew your strength. Then you will mount up with wings like eagles. Then you will run and not be weary. Then you will walk and not faint. Pastor Trent Griffith will be back in just a moment to close in prayer. In 1740, Charles Wesley was being chased by angry people who wanted to kill him. And while hiding in a farm milk house, he wrote this, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the near waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. Well, no matter what disaster you're facing today, you can mount up with wings like an eagle and fly, not only above the disaster itself, but empowered by the wind of the Spirit, straight to your refuge, Jesus. Every week here at Harvest Bible Chapel, we hear biblical, practical teaching like what you heard today. And if you'd like to visit our church for a worship service, here's what you need to do. First, go to our website, harvestgranger.org, And there you'll see a box that says, I'm new here. There, you can read all about Harvest. You can see our four pillars. And there's information about what to expect in our services and what to do if you're bringing children. When you go back to our homepage and you click on Worship With Us, you'll see information about campus locations and when we meet. You can also watch a video of last week's sermon as well. Then, just show up and let someone know you're new. I hope you can make it. Our web address again is harvestgranger.org. If you're on Facebook, we'd love to connect with you there. You can find us by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Well, have you ever had your eyesight checked? Our current series is called Lift Up Your Eyes. And part of lifting up our eyes is learning to see people around us the way that Jesus sees them. Next week, we'll have a spiritual vision checkup. I hope you can join us then. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Now, here's Pastor Trent to close our time in prayer. This is your opportunity to tell God about your disaster. He already knows. He's waiting on you to lift your eyes and say, I need help. I'm looking to you for comfort. God, I admit my frailty. I repent of accusing you of not being good, not being in control. I trust your sovereignty. I trust your sufficiency. Lord, thank you that you are a God of comfort. Thank you that even in the midst of the curse that we live under, the judgment, that God, you are in the process of redeeming restoring and renewing the strength of those that love you, worship you. Pray that we would never be guilty of worshiping the good that you give. We simply want to worship you, God, who are good. 
God, many of us are weary, we're exhausted, we're tired. Would you renew our strength by your grace? Give us faith to believe that you are sufficient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.